I'll cut. I had a four-hour sermon for you this morning, um, but I'll cut it down to three and a half. Uh, I might set my timer, actually, because if I don't. Can we have the first slide, please? We're continuing our theme. Matthew chapter 5. And today we're looking at uh, verses 13 to 16, uh, the salt and light. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples here. It's a continuation of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. He's talking to us. There's a couple of key foundational points I want to bring out from this, and that is that Jesus is really speaking prophetically to us because he says in verse 13, he calls us what we are. He says, you are the salt of the earth. At the start of verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. So this is not something that we strive to become. Jesus tells us what we are. It's a matter of letting the Holy Spirit work in us. We don't have to try and become the light of the world or the salt of the earth. Jesus tells us who we are. So we, we recognize that there is an evil one who tries to discourage us. I was talking to a lady yesterday who said she preaches a little bit and she just doesn't feel good enough. She doesn't feel, she feels a bit awkward when she does it and she doesn't feel that she should be doing it. And that's what the devil does. He wants to discourage us. But Jesus speaks the truth. We've got to believe the truth. We are the soul of the earth. We are the light of the world. So let's not let, uh, let's just recognize the fact that there is an evil one who does try and uh, distract us from bringing glory to Jesus. Verse 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We need the Holy Spirit's help. We recognize that. But let's start from that as a basis. Can we have the next um, slide, please? Okay, so yeah, verse, let's talk about salt for a few minutes. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Uh, Mark 9.50, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Luke 14, 34 to 35, Jesus talking, salty is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's neither fit for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. So even though Jesus tells us we are the salt of the earth, we are the light of the world, if I asked you uh, who, who could you identify in your life that actually you would say does actually bright, uh, burn their, their light actually shines quite bright, there would be some people that come to mind. And so we, so we, while I'm not talking about striving, I am talking about letting the Holy Spirit work in us. 
Right, so this prophecy's turned out to be so true, hasn't it? I mean, if you look at you know, the last few thousand years since Jesus spoke this sermon, um, Christians, people who love Jesus have actually been... I mean, Dave Francis gets up here you know, 10 minutes ago and shares about basically his love for Jesus. That's why he does this. Dave's not, you're not 25 anymore, are you, Dave? He's, he's his late 30s by now. And he uh, gets up, but he does this, you know, that, that's the whole family making a sacrifice. It's because they are allowing the Holy Spirit to work through them because they love these kids that are in poverty and these kids need funds, they need money to be able to live. And so this, is the, this, this stuff's happened right throughout, you know, right throughout history. You've got the Salvation Army probably every night on the streets in Perth, being the salt of the earth, being the light of the world. You've got Christian Blind Mission, obviously Compassion Australia. You've got, you've got guys like uh, William Wilberforce standing up against slavery. Um, this statement by Jesus is so true. Christians, people who love Jesus, who value life, have been the salt of the earth. I'm not talking about religious people. I'm talking about people who love Jesus. In Hebrew, the word for salt is, I think it's pronounced malach, but I'm not sure. Uh, M-E-L-A-C-H. It means to eat salt or it means to be under the salt of the palace. In other words, to serve the king's interests. We, as followers of Jesus, we serve his interests. Okay, That's our goal, to bring glory to God. Being salted by God means we are a spiritual child of Israel, which, of course, brings with it Protection, holiness, healing. So when Jesus is talking here on this uh, you know, mountain to his disciples, there might have been a few hundred people there, we're not sure, but his disciples were there. He is, he's also talking to the Jewish nation because the, in the Old Testament, assault is a picture of holiness as well as, 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 as wisdom and other things. But the Jewish people as a nation did lose their saltiness. They, there's this cycle right throughout the Old Testament of rebellion against God, judgment. You know, foreign lands would come in and take over, destroy their crops, destroy their livestock. They'd be under oppression. And then God's grace would come to them. There's this cycle, rebellion, judgment, God's grace, rebellion, judgment, God's grace. They were trampled underfoot. They lost their land many times, thrown out of the land of Israel. Here in Luke uh, chapter 14, Jesus brings in another metaphor, and that is uh, he's talking about salt as being a fertilizer. You know, salt, um, I guess it was put on the manure, it would actually stop it, because salt's a preservative, so it would stop the manure from decomposing and rotting to the extent that it's useless. Where, now, I'm not a gardener, I actually like getting outside, but my wife and I, particularly me, uh, don't have a great sort of reputation with keeping plants alive. Um, we have been many times back to um, Dawson's Nursery. Has anyone here worked for Dawson's Nursery? No. Dawson's Nursery in Forestfield. Uh, because they give you one year on there as a receipt. You get one year to try and keep a plant alive. And many, many times I've driven back to Dawson's Nursery with a plant in the back of the car. Um, it looks dead. Um, there might be a time. I try and get it just before, before it's completely dead, so it's got a tiny bit of life in it. And I take a cutting back to Dawson's Nursery, and I know what's going to happen. I'm going to get humiliated when I'm there because um, it happens every time. They ask me all these questions about why the plant has died. Um, and so on the way to Dawson's Nursery, it's about a 20-minute drive from where we live. I'm, I've got these answers 
I'm going through all the answers to all the questions I'm about to be asked. Um, you know, did you put the plant in the right spot? I'm thinking, okay, I've put it in some, I've, I've covered both ways, some shade and some sun. Um, what's the soil like? Is it acidic enough? And I'm thinking, okay, I've got an answer for that. Is there enough salt in the soil? Because you can put sodium in the soil, that sort of stuff. So I've got all my answers. I've even got one of the kids with me because that can kind of help in, as far as pity and that sort of thing goes. So I've got, so, um, and, but I always come away humiliated because um, they ask these questions that I haven't thought of, even though I've thought of, I've kind of prepared, I've prepared all my answers beforehand. But by the end of the day, I've got a dead plant and it's, you know, we, we haven't watered it. But anyway, we don't tell them that. Um, but this, this metaphor here, Jesus is, when Jesus calls us salt, he's saying, he's, there's a metaphor here of fertilizer. Christian, um, people who love Jesus, um, you know, we are actually fertilizers as well. We actually, we, we're supposed to produce fruit. We know what fertilizer does to plants, MPK, that sort of stuff. It actually helps plants to grow, to produce fruit. We are to go and tell people that Jesus loves them. The Holy Spirit powers us. We don't strive because that doesn't work. But we, the Holy, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us to tell people that Jesus loves them. Um, also, um, back in, um, when Jesus was talking, the, the, the Greek and Aramaic meaning of salt had, had a fair bit to do with wisdom. So when, when, when Jesus says if the salt loses its saltiness or you know, loses its flavoring or savor, that's, that's akin to um, becoming foolish, which is what happens when we allow the world to completely take over our thinking. And there's strong warnings in the book of John about loving the world. Um, all right, so how can we be salty? How are we going for time? I'm just wary of time this morning. Um, good, so far. All right, well, God commands us to go into the world of unbelievers so we can be salt and light for them. Je we know Jesus did that. We know that Jesus hung around with the taxpayers, the uh, uh, prostitutes, um, he didn't allow their uncleanness to infect him, but it was the other way around. He allowed his cleanness to infect them. You know, he was, he was salt and light to them. So being salt and light means a key part of it is relationships, engaging. It's all about influence, engaging with the world. We're warned in the verses just preceding verses uh, 5, uh, verses 11 and 12. Uh, about persecution. I'll read it out to you. Matthew 5, verse 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So being salt has it does nothing to do with being popular or being well liked. We're not told that in scripture at all. But it, it might, because if you are salt and light and you're going to speak biblical truth to people and act in a biblical way, there will be some persecution. We've seen that in Perth, but it happens. It happens a lot all over the world. Um, in the ancient Middle East, there's this thing called the um, covenant of salt, which is still practiced in some parts of the Arabic world today. So basically, a covenant of salt which is actually mentioned in the Old Testament in, in Numbers and also in Chronicles, um, it was a meal between two people who were making a covenant or a commitment to be friends. And usually the meal would have a high salt content. And there was a term, um, there is salt between us. 
which means we, we are now going to become friends. And, and there would actually be some salt in between the two people who would sit down and have a meal together, and that was called a covenant of salt. Jesus is charging us, really, um, with the importance of relationships. In this day and age today, where um, we're aware that social media is, is so big, but, you know, if I ever get on a train, I see people with their phones, um, but I don't see anyone talking to each other. But when I was growing up, I did. And, and I'm not trying to be critical, but I've noticed a big difference in terms of social skills um, in, this, in, this, in this world of social media. Um, with relationships, I think humility is really important. We actually listen to people. We actually care, actually hear their... St and just hear them, hear what they're really trying to say, listen to their stories. Um, salt... Uh, the disciples who heard this would have understood that salt is, was a preservative because they were fishermen. So, you know, they're, they're catching their fish. They've got to sell it um, in the marketplaces of you know, Samaria or you know, Jerusalem. Their, salt, their fish would go off if it wasn't preserved. No, no um, refrigeration back then. So salt would have been used by the disciples as a preservative. In the same way, I believe um, Christians can be a preservative um, for moral decency for godly laws, um, um, and the disciples would have understand that. Christians have, like I mentioned William Wilberforce before as an example of someone who stood up against slavery, which was just accepted as that's what you do. He stood up against it, and it was probably about 50 years later that um, it wasn't fully abolished. In fact, slavery still exists today in some parts of the world, but there was a real stand against um, you know, treating people as people. You know, that was really important. And... Um, so I, I believe um, that Christians can be a moral guide. I mean, let's be honest, if, if the church isn't teaching about things like sexual immorality, um, the world's, no, no, who is? So we can be a preservative in a way. I don't mean judgmental in any way because we all struggle with sin and none of us have got any righteousness at all. It's all Jesus Christ. But we can still be a preservative. Um, salt's got a distinctive flavour too, hasn't it? I mean, who here has ever... <laughs> One of the old camp trips, we camp tricks that we used to do was, you know, the salt shakers. Um, you'd unscrew the lid a little bit, and then you'd leave it on the table. And then when someone came to <laughs> pour salt on their chips, it would all come out and wreck the chips. Salt's got a very salt's not a sweet sort of taste, is it? It's it's a um, it's got a bit of a bite to it. Um, but we we are called salt's got a really distinctive flavour to it. We're called to be distinctive. You know, and again, it's not striving I'm talking about here. It's the Holy Spirit. Um, but, you know, my neighbours across the road, if, if I'm no different to them in the way that I act, then I've got a question, why would they want to come to church? Or why would they want to follow Jesus? If I, if I don't um, treat my wife differently to how a non-believer treats his or her wife, his wife how, how do I, how am I different? I've got a question. We've got to be distinctive. Um, and again, I'm going to keep emphasising this. It's not striving. It's not trying to work stuff out. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to change us, to transform us. I've heard a lot of. I've worked in schools for a long time, and and um, I've heard a lot of parents, particularly um, Christian parents, sort of dreading the next 20 or 30 years um, because there's stuff coming through now which is some Christians believe make it difficult to raise kids in a godly environment. But I, I think you know. Um, this is going to be good in a way, some of the laws that are coming through, because I've, 
it's going to force me as a parent, as a dad, to actually, oh, there's no more lukewarmness, no sitting on the fence. I can't agree with some of the stuff. So I'm, do you, do you hear what I'm trying to say? Like, we're going to be less lukewarm because we're not going to be able to get away with sitting on the fence anymore. I think that's good. Um, I had a, when I was a, um, oh, probably in my early 20s, actually right through my 20s, I had, I had a mentor, his name was Bruce, and he was salt and light for me because he, God sent him at just the right time. Um, he was a very gentle, extremely humble person. Um, and he was very patient with me and just helped me work some stuff out. And he was very, he loved, he loved the Bible. He was very, you know, if the Bible said it, he believed it. But he, he was, he also rebuked me a few times. Because he was, he had earned my respect, I was, I learned from him. I learned a lot. He was, I had, a, I was very blessed to have a spiritual mentor when I was a young man. At the time, I particularly needed it because I um, struggled a bit as a teenager. And, and, um, and I'm just so grateful to God for sending someone along at just the right time, at the right person for me. That's what God does. Um, so, yeah, just, just, um, I just want to read from 1 John, actually. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 16, because we've spoken about salt. Uh, if it loses its saltiness, then it's worthless. Um, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. This idea of um, us being influential, because when Jesus says, you, know, you are salt, you are light, um, we are called to be an influence. And um, I, I believe that we need to be prepared to engage with the world. And then if it means not being liked because of what we're, the way we're living or the, you know, because we're living biblically or because we're talking biblically, or, well, then that's part of being salt. Okay, I want to make a distinction between, you know, salt, salt itself is not, a, it's not honey. It's not, we're not supposed to be sweeteners as such, but we are called to, to be salt. And it's the, inf- it's the power of the Holy Spirit that changes people. It's not my nice way of talking or anyone's charisma. It's actually the power of the Holy Spirit that changes people. And I, I um, you know, you can lose your credibility by, if, particularly if you have a personality like me, which is, can be a bit of a people pleaser at times and to I guess not wanting to offend people um, you might call it fear of man something I've got to be aware of with my personality type is you know if you if you actually live and allow the Holy Spirit to work through you you might actually offend some people but you're doing what you've been called to do and you are being an influence by doing that um, you know, I remember when I used to work as a, um, I worked as a courier for a, about eight months, ten months, and there was a lot of men in the workshop in Welshpool, the, uh, the warehouse, sorry, in Welshpool, and they, the way they were talking about women was absolutely disgraceful, and they were married men. And I, I never said anything, except once I did, because I, but n- not in a judgmental way, someone made a comment about the Bible, and I thought, oh, here's, a, you know, here's an opening here, I'll just mention something, and I did, but they used to call me gospel kid. <laughs> um, but I never actually said much, I just, but I didn't participate in the stuff that they were talking about. 
and all the other men did. And, and I knew that if their wives were there, there's no way they would have been talking like that. And I thought, um, so, and I wasn't particularly popular because of it. Didn't used to get invited to their parties and things like that, but I didn't care. It, it, it was, um, I felt called there for a short time for a reason. And, um, you know, it, sometimes people will, will react, but you actually don't know what's going on inside them. And maybe we're not supposed to know, but we are, we are just supposed to be salt, and it might mean being a bit prickly at times. So can we have the next slide, please? This is one from Colossians. Yeah, Colossians. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You know, salt, uh, while it can bite, it also has healing properties. Uh, when I started teaching a long time ago, how old am I now? 23, no, 20, no, I've lost my birth certificate, so I just have to guess when I look in the mirror. I think I'm in my late 30s, but I'm not sure. I could well be much older than that. Um, no, I'm older than that. I, um, when I started teaching years and years ago, I used to lose my voice all the time because as a teacher, you, that's the thing, you have, that's your main tool, your, your voice box. And um, I'd lose it. It would, it would, yeah, every, pretty much every day it would hurt. And, and so what you do is you get some salt, salt and some hot water, mix them together, and you gurgle that for a bit. And it actually would help. It would actually soothe your throat. Salt's got this healing property, hasn't it? And, um, and, and so, you know, even those that, that might criticise us, um, they may well come to us one day and say, hey, you know, can I have some advice, you know, you know what would you do in this situation? I've got a friend like that who, who lives in Durian Bay. He, uh, he's very quick to get on his phone and send me some text messages about the, about the Bible and about why, why am I brainwashing my kids. And, and he's, you know, he's quite anti. Um, but then he's also the same guy who'll ring me up and say, hey, thanks for listening and thanks for... I'm the, I think I'm the only Christian that he knows. Um, or his mum's a Christian, but... Yeah, salt does have this healing property. And getting back to the Beatitudes, it's the Christ-likeness in us. So it's not our own works. It's the Christ-likeness in us. That is a wonderful healing balm to many people. Um, the world is better off if we actually believe that we are salt and light and just allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. Okay, that's our influence. Can we have the next slide, please? I'm speaking quickly today. Um, just because I'm aware of time, that's all. Matthew 5, 14 to 16, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And then John 8, 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Luke 8, 16, no one lights a lamp, hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. John 8, 12, Jesus says he's the light of the world. We know Jesus is the light of the world, don't we? We know that. He's like the sun. We're like the moon. We reflect his light. Okay? We haven't got any light of our own. You'll work out, and I know a lot of you perhaps have, and I'm starting to, that striving does not work. It's, you, it's, it's the relationship with Jesus Christ 
That's where your source is for your light. So it's time, time with Jesus. So when Jesus says he is the light of the world, he is, but we are to reflect who he is. So I can be a light if I'm forgiving because that's, that's countercultural, isn't it? If I forgive someone who's wronged me, that's countercultural. That doesn't happen. I can be a light. I can point to Jesus by doing that. I can speak graciously to people. Humility. These things are countercultural in our culture. That's how you're a light. Again, it's relying on, relying on Christ because you can't do it on your own. Um, here, Jesus' uh, Jesus' words, uh, neither do people light a lamp. I'm reading from the top uh, reference. Neither do people light a lamp, put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Um, probably about five weeks ago, we were down in Bustleton, uh, just tenting down there, just down at one of the church campsites. And I got up one um, morning, it was early in the morning because it was still really dark, it was pitch black. And I walked out and uh, we were right in front of the beach and I could see the Bustleton jetty all lit up. It was all lit up, like all two kilometres of it lit up. And I thought, wow, that so stands out in the, in the black, dark night sky. And I sort of turned around to go back and I saw a flash of light. And I knew what it was straight away. It was that one of the big lighthouses, um, Cape, Cape Naturalist Lighthouse it would have been, High up, it's on a high vantage point. Because Jesus says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. You know, lighthouses, there's about 350-odd lighthouses around the Australian coastline. There's a lot of shipwrecks. There's about 800 shipwrecks. But there's a lot of shipwrecks that uh, did not happen because of lighthouses. You know, the lighthouses, their purpose is it's a high, it's all, they're all, they're tall towers they're on a high point so they give light they point people away from danger they could serve as a navigational aid as well and in a way we're like that aren't we we're not supposed to hide our hide our light when i when i when we tent and i you know i go to bcf and buy a lantern i usually try and buy a, a good one which has got you know a thousand lumens or um, something which is pretty bright, but I've noticed a big difference, and I've tried this a few times. If you actually put the light on the floor, it lights up the area around the light, but it doesn't actually light up the whole tent. But if you actually hang it off from a hook, it really does light up the tent. It's sort of common sense to us, but it's a, it's a metaphor that we can understand as well, that Jesus, Jesus is using metaphors that we can understand here. We are to be purposely visible. Make it known that you follow Jesus. Um, again, it's not so much necessarily the way you talk, but it's the way you act that people watch. Um, so, am I being a visible light to others? I've got to question that constantly. I know that we fail a lot. We just ask Jesus for forgiveness and, and um, he forgives us. And Am I pointing others to Jesus with the way that I live my life? Am I a light in the darkness? Am I hiding my light? We shouldn't be, um, you know, camouflage Christians. Okay, I, I was in the Army Reserve um, years back, just for a short time. I was in there for the wrong reasons. I was trying to get some money because I was at university and, you know, didn't have any money and it was tax-free money in the Army Reserve. So, I remember um, oh, I've got some sh <laughs> some shocking um, experience. I had some shocking experiences actually in just a short time, just because I wasn't I wasn't there for the right reasons and I was. Um, 
I remember once we used to wear camouflage gear all the time because we were out in, in Bindoon and we were, um, you know, just had to avoid certain traps that had been deliberately set for us and we were learning how to how to do that and how to um, tread carefully and all sorts of things. I had to sh uh, shoot a rifle. I lost my this little scope like that that goes that helps you just line up your target. And I lost mine. It fell off, <laughs> but I was too scared to say anything to the uh, corporal because he was a nasty, <laughs> nasty. He was a nasty piece of work, and he um, he he was already he already had it in for me because, I mean, they give you one minute to brush your teeth for goodness sake. How are you supposed to have a conversation with someone in a minute? So which doesn't suit my personality. So, um, but then, um, and then when he found out that I was born in Tasmania, oh my goodness, did I cop it then? Um, we copped, our unit copped a lot of push-ups because of me. Um, <laughs> we used to, one of, one of the things we had to do actually early in the morning, we had to, um, it was about 5.30 in the morning, ridiculous, because it's winter as well, it was cold. We had to get up, we had to line up in the, um, along the corridor, just outside our bedrooms, and um, we had to be fully dressed within a minute or two. And I was, I'm not particularly quick at things like that. So I worked out the smartest thing to do is to wake up at about three o'clock in the morning, get fully dressed. <laughs> and then as soon as they, they had some sort of alarm system that means you get out, you got a minute to get out and, 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 and line up and then you get inspected, um, I, I would be the first one out. And I was, and, but they, they weren't silly. They knew what I was like, and um, and they worked out that I'd been. <laughs> and it's a couple of other guys copied me. They and we really got into trouble because we were, we were sort of half dressed at you know two thirty in the morning, and they found out one morning. Um, There's another time where I had a rifle and I wasn't. It was freezing cold. And I think I was sort of shivering, and I had the rifle pointed directly at the corporal. Um, <laughs> oh, you should have seen him go off then. Didn't have any bullets in it. So how do we let our light shine? Well, I didn't. I didn't when I was on, in the Army Reserve. <laughs> so really, I mean, it's, it's, it's not rocket science, but it is, it is hard to do if you try and strive to do it. Forgiving others, being compassionate, being gracious, not participating in gossip, countercultural things, acknowledging your failures, being prepared to say sorry, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's really the fruits of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? You know, Galatians 5, love, joy, pace, uh, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. The first place to let our light shine is, is at home. I can stand up here and talk to everybody and it's not hard, but it's completely different to letting my light shine at at home when I'm upset with the kids or perhaps my wife and I have had a disagreement. We do disagree sometimes. Oh no, she shouldn't. She's a chaplain. <laughs> She's a counsellor. But she still disagrees with me sometimes. No, it's, it's, it's my fault. I've learnt that. So, um, she's, a beautiful, she's a beautiful lady. So, but Mother, Mother Teresa was actually asked by someone how do I let my light shine? How do I, how do I make a difference? And she said, you know what she said? It's very powerful. She said, go home and love your family. That's what she said when she was asked. If we look at the last verse here, verse 16. In Matthew 5, verse 16. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's our goal in life, isn't it? That's our goal in life. Frank Davey stood up here um, late last year. He used to come to this church. He, he, had, um, he had been suffering from prostate cancer. And he's a beautiful person. And he stood up here and he, he, he told his testimony of how God had healed him. But the most powerful part of it at the end was he said, you know, I don't know why I got healed. I don't know why I didn't. Others don't. And, but he said, I give all glory to God. And I thought, well, that's letting your light shine brightly, isn't it? All glory to God. So as I've said a number of times through this message, the only way we can be salt and we can be light is to make sure that we are in relationship with Jesus. That's the most important relationship there is. It's the biggest determiner, I guess, of how salty we are or how bright our light shines. It's the amount of time or the quality, just the priority that I put into my relationship with God. The torches that I buy, often I try and get the ones that are USB charged. But if I don't charge them every couple of days, the light starts to get dimmer. It does, and dimmer. It's the same with our relationship with Jesus. We need to... Everything comes out of that belovedness. Everything comes out of that. I would like to pray and give an invitation to anyone who has not accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour so could I just have everybody just bow their heads in prayer please if there's anyone that hasn't done the most important thing he can do I spoke to a chap yesterday who a couple of years ago, made the decision to follow Jesus. Grew up in a non-Christian home. And he said someone invited him to church. And the scales just fell off his eyes and he started crying. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Is anyone who hasn't made that decision to follow Jesus? I'd love to pray with you right now. Just put your hand up, please, just quietly. No one's... No one's looking, but Christians are praying. God, we just come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you are our source. Everything we do is out of this sense of belovedness. You first loved us. Lord, forgive us where in our own strength we've tried to make things happen. We've strived. Help us, God, to prioritize relationship with you so that we can be the salt and light that you tell us we are. 
Lord, I just pray over people here, Lord, that are feeling worthless, feeling discouraged, feeling like they haven't got it together. No one has. It's only because of you. It's your power in us.